Well, we've been talking together about uh, the book of Philippians under the theme, Choose Joy. I'm convinced that that is the whole point of the book of Philippians. And so we've been looking at that very carefully, and we just, we're just going verse by verse through the book. And this morning, we arrive at chapter 4 and verse 1. And I'm glad that we're going to begin chapter 4 because... Um, Chapter 4 has some very familiar verses in it. Uh, there's a good chance that if I asked you to sit down and uh, name your top 10 favorite Bible verses, there's a very good chance that at least one of those would be found in Philippians chapter 4. This is a great chapter, and we love some of those key verses. But one of the things that I hope that we can do as we study chapter 4 together is that we can get a, a fuller understanding of those favorite verses when we see them in context. You know, so often when we have a favorite verse, we'll pull it out and we'll, and we'll memorize that one verse or, or we'll, put that, uh, uh, we'll put that verse on a, a t-shirt or a keychain or something and we love that verse. And that's great. But when you see it in its full context, it adds a deepness, a richness to it. So that's one of the, the, the side benefits, if you will, that I hope we experience as we go through the chapter together. But this morning, we're going to begin chapter 4 at verse 1 as we think together about joy killers. We're talking about choosing joy, and if we're going to be able to choose joy, we need to be aware that there are certain joy killers out there. And as we begin to recognize those joy killers, we will be better equipped to avoid them. Well, there's a whole list, as you can imagine. There are just all kinds of potential joy killers out there. And we're not going to take time to look at, at all of them or really even very many of them. I just want us this morning to look at what I think are the top two joy killers in our current day. The top two joy killers. When you turn on the TV, you almost immediately are confronted with anger or anxiety. When you go to work, you are almost immediately confronted with anger or anxiety. The world in which we live is just infiltrated with anger and anxiety. And those are the, I believe, the top joy killers in our world today. Paul made it very clear that we want to avoid those joy killers. Starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, now we've talked about this many times throughout the, the book already. When he says brothers, that's just a, a, a Greek thing. He didn't have a way to say brothers and sisters. When, he, he, when they read it, they heard the concept of siblings, that we're family. It wasn't necessarily a masculine thing for them when they heard it. And so he says, therefore, family, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Did you hear all those words that he used to describe how much they meant to him? I mean, he loves these people. 
He calls them family. He says, I love you. I long for you. You're uh, my joy. You're my crown. He said, and he ends it by saying, my beloved. And in all that verse, what is the one thing that he tells them to do? Stand firm. On either side, there are reminders. I love you. I'm here for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. And because of that, I'm asking you to stand firm. That is probably one of Paul's top themes. You find it in every letter that he wrote just about. You hear it over and over again. He calls God's people to stand firm. And there's a reason for that. Because the world around us is going to try to pull us away from the things of God. Now, that's not an intentional thing. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just the way the world works. The world around us will pull us away from the things of God. And the more we listen to the world around us, the more we give in to the pressures of life that are a part of living in this fallen nature, the more we do that, the less joy we have. And so he says, stand firm. You have a firm foundation in Christ. Stand on that foundation. And don't let the world around you pull you or push you off of that foundation. Stand firm. Well, and then he begins. You notice in that verse, he says, stand firm thus. Now, that word is actually pretty important. It's translated differently in different versions, so you may, you may read it a little bit differently. But what it means is, stand firm in the way I'm about to explain to you. Stand firm in this way, and he's introducing the chapter. And over the next few verses, he's going to say, stand firm against anger and anxiety, the two things that will kill joy. First, he talks about anger. I entreat, verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. You know, I know it's popular for parents to choose biblical names for their kids. Let me just suggest that you not pick these two, Yodia and Syntyche. That's not going to go well, I promise. Yodia and Syntyche, he says, I, I, I plead with you. The word is, he says, I urge you, I implore you, I, I, I entreat you. In other words, he's saying, I beg of you, Yodia. I beg of you, Syntyche. Find agreement in the Lord. Get it together, ladies. He says, he says you guys are are." at odds. You're, you're at each other. You've allowed anger to, to interfere in your relationship. And so he says, instead, agree in the Lord. And I think there's a key there for us because he does not say, agree in your politics. He doesn't say, agree in your opinions. He doesn't say, agree on what color the carpet should be. He doesn't say agree on the building programs that you come up with. It's okay for us to have different opinions. It's okay for us to, to see things differently. We are never called to be robots in God's church. However, 
even when our politics are different and our opinions are different and our perspectives are different, we can still agree in the Lord. When you are rightly related to him and I am rightly related to him, we can be rightly related to one another. We agree in the Lord even if we disagree on other things. And so he calls them, he treats them. I also think it's interesting that he pleads with each one. He could have said, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree. That's not what he said. He said, I, agree, I, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. He addressed each one specifically and begged each of them. And that's significant because when there is conflict, when there is anger and disharmony, 99.99% of the time, there is some responsibility in both parties. There's something that each one could do. And so he doesn't just say, hey, y'all get along. He says, Yodia, I'm begging you. Syntyche, I'm begging you. Accept your personal responsibility to figure out a way to agree in the Lord. He pleads with each of them because it is that important. A national park ranger in British Columbia has two sets of huge antlers. They're, they're as wide as a man's reach, locked, and these, the, these big antlers are locked together. Evidently, two bull moose began fighting with their antlers locked. They could not get free. And they eventually died. They died due to anger. You see how easy it is that, that we can get so locked up in that anger that over time, the opportunities for us to agree in the Lord get fewer and fewer. We ignore the opportunities and we stay in our anger until eventually it's too late. And so Paul says, I'm begging you, please agree in the Lord. He had already told the church how to do that. He'd already told them the importance of that. In chapter 2 at verse 2, he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Agree in the Lord. You see, when you let anger and pride blind you of your own responsibility in the conflict, you wind up cheating yourself of joy. You wind up getting stuck in that conflict. I think they were sincere, by the way. I think Yodia and Syntyche were sincere Christians. I think they showed up for church and they participated and they, they were active and they were supportive. One of the reasons I think that is verse 3. Listen, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion. And we don't know who the true companion is. We're not going to take time to, to chase all the possibilities. But he's addressing a specific friend in the church that he knows he can trust. And so he says to that friend, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel 
together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. See, they were sincere, active people. They were, they were true believers, Christians working in the church alongside Paul. And so Paul is not, and I am not, addressing people who are so shallow that they argue and fight all the time. That's not the ones that we want to think about this morning. These are us. <laughs> These are the Christians who were actively involved and very sincere, and yet they let anger rob them of their joy. The Orioles were going to play baseball in Boston in the spring of 1894. They show up to play baseball. The game starts off like a normal game. Everything seems to be going well until Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players of both teams had joined in the brawl. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. Among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse, and someone set fire to the stands, and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well. All because two baseball players didn't handle their anger. It's a picture of what can happen within a church and a community. Two people can stir up so much conflict that it sets the, the house of God ablaze. And every time that happens, beloved, it affects the community in which that church serves. Every time. I've seen it more times than, 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 than I'd like to, to even consider. Two people get crosswise. Well, they got to get their friends. He's got to get his friends. She's got to get her friends. Now you've split the church because now people have to take sides. Now people have to show loyalty. And one of the hardest parts of my job is every time that has happened in 30 years of ministry, every time that has happened, it's ended in the same result. Both sides come to me and want me to take their side to do something to punish the other person. And in every case, both sides have gotten so mad at me, they left the church. Anger kills not only your personal joy, but it can devastate a church family and the community in which that church serves. And so Paul says, Yodia, Syntyche, I'm begging you, please agree in the Lord. Work through that anger. We live in a weird time in which anger is honored. We think being angry about something proves how smart I am or how strong I am. Paul says, Christians, you stand firm. Don't fall for that. Don't let the angry influences around you change your heart or kill your joy. When we say, he made me mad, did you know that that's not really accurate? He made me mad. 
The reason it's not really accurate is to be truthful, you chose that whatever happened was worth you getting mad about. You decided to get mad. You're not that weak to say somebody can make me mad. That would mean that somebody has a way of reaching into your person and dictating to you what you must feel. Are you that weak? You're going to let someone tell you how to feel? We can stand firm instead of being that weak. We can say, you know what, I got mad because I chose to get mad. And there are times that anger is appropriate. Bible doesn't say anger is a sin. It just warns us against the sins that come when we don't handle our anger well. Anger, left unchecked, handled incorrectly, will kill our joy. And so he says, I beg you, agree. He calls his true companion, guy, help me out. Let's get this church back in, in order. And then he concludes with verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The context there is key. Instead of living according to the world's way of thinking, instead of letting anger rule you, you choose to rejoice. Everybody else around you is going to be mad. Okay, you choose to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and louder for those in the back, rejoice. He says it twice. Emphasis that is important. Well, the first joy killer is anger. The second joy killer is anxiety. He says in verses 5 and 6, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Wow. I love that word. I don't know if I've ever heard that word anywhere else. Reasonableness. The state of being reasonable. Let that make you different from the world around you. While everybody else is going nuts, being angry and full of anxiety, you be reasonable. Let your reasonableness make you stand out. Let it be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know that the Lord's coming back soon, and you know that when he comes back, all this stuff that we think is so important is all of a sudden not going to be important at all. You know that. So let that make you stand out in the world. Be different. Be reasonable. While everybody else is full of anger and anxiety. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Stop carrying such a heavy load. Pray and give it to him and let go. Being anxious is accepting responsibility for things over which you have no control. Worrying is accepting responsibility for those things you don't have any control over. It's almost saying, I should be able to do God's job. But in reality, worry 
is just a form of fear. It's the opposite of trust, which is why prayer is the anecdote. You can't change someone by worrying about them. You can't undo the past by worrying about it. You can't affect the future by worrying about it. You can't accept responsibility for something that you can't control. Worry is its own kind of prison. Sergei was a Latvian prison convict. He had 10 months left to serve on his seven-year burglary sentence. He had already served six years and a few months. Only had 10 months left, and yet he decided to escape. So he broke out of prison. And even after years of freedom, the escapee just couldn't relax. He said worry over being caught was proving too stressful. He worked several jobs and moved into an apartment with his girlfriend, but Sergei was constantly looking over his shoulder. Every day he was afraid they were going to find him. Every day he was worried and anxious that they were going to come and get him. So in a move that surprised even the prison officials, Sergei showed up at the minimum security facility and turned himself in five years after he had escaped. He couldn't live in the prison of anxiety. Many of us allow anxiety to kill our joy and lock us up. And we're not celebrating the joyful life that Christ came to bring. I know there's somebody this morning and you're thinking, all right, John, all right, Paul, I don't, I don't get to be angry and I don't get to worry. What in the world am I going to do with all my time? You just took away my two favorite hobbies. If I don't get to be angry and I don't get to worry, what am I going to do? Well, thank you, Brother Paul. He tells us. He gives us three things that we get to do when we get rid of anger and anxiety. One is rejoice. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When, there, when you relieve yourself of worry, you relieve yourself of anxiety, relieve yourself of anger, you open yourself to rejoice in the Lord always. You also get to experience what it means to relax. To relax. Did you get that in verse 5 when he said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone? We can be reasonable about things. We get to relax. We don't have to be driven by our anger. We don't have to be driven by our anxiety. We can be reasonable. We can relax. When you were growing up, did anybody ever tell you that when you get mad, you need to stop and count to 10? You ever heard that? You know why we do that? You're telling yourself to relax. Count to 10. Some of y'all need to be counting to 100, by the way, but that's, we're going to count to 10. It gives us a chance to relax so that we can be more reasonable in our response. Some of us need to learn to relax. Did you know that you don't have to respond every time somebody bugs you? You don't have to retaliate every time someone says something or does something ugly. Social media, 
You don't have to respond every time some idiot says something stupid. I know that's hard. But we can relax. We don't have to live in anxiety and worry to prove how much we care. Well, Paul gave us one more. We can rejoice, we can relax, and we can rest. In verse 7, he says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace. You hear the difference? You know, you feel the difference between anxiety and peace, anger and peace. But it's not just an emotional experience. Here he says, when you learn to trust God so that you can let go of anger and anxiety, when you learn to trust him, you get his peace, the peace of God which passes understanding. It passes understanding because it doesn't make sense. We live in a world that's driven by all this anxiety. Peace doesn't make sense. We live in a world that pushes us to be angry at each other. Peace doesn't fit in. It doesn't make sense. When this fallen world wrecks our lives and we go through tragedy, and loss, and devastation, there can be a peace within that doesn't make sense because it's the peace of God. Here he says you can rest. And look what that peace does. The peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That guard is the sentry that used to march around back and forth protecting something valuable. God's peace will protect your heart and your mind, it says. Now think about that heart and mind. The heart is where anger takes place. The mind is where anxiety takes place. And the peace is going to guard both my heart from anger and my mind from anxiety. God's peace lets me rest. We used to have a pastor in the Waco Association who would answer a common question in a meaningful way. You'd say, how are you? He'd say, the Lord is blessing, so I'm not stressing. <laughs> he found rest in the peace of God. Two major joy killers, anger and anxiety. When we deal with God in such a way that we take care of those things and set them aside, we find that we can rejoice, relax, and rest.